0: So as you know, our worship theme for this month of May is transcendence, and we've been exploring this in different ways. Early in the month, Josh Goulet preached about the transcendent as that which is beyond our ability to adequately name or describe, but still is available to us across the theological spectrum. And then last Sunday, my friend Reverend Jason Shelton shared with us the transcendent power that comes through singing and music. Today, I'm thinking about our transcendentalist forebears, those women and men who back in the early 19th century, broke from what they saw as the stodgy religion of their day, encouraging others to trust in their own experiences and find the holy, not just in church, but in their lives and out in the world. And this was radical back then. You may know, you may not. The name transcendentalist comes from the idea that people have knowledge and understanding about ourselves and about the world that goes beyond, that transcends what we can learn and know through our senses. The transcendentalist said this understanding comes through our intuition and through our imagination, that it's available to everyone who seeks it. And we may take this idea for granted now that each of us has access to the holy, ourself. But you know, don't you, that there's still plenty of people who still think this is radical. Plenty of people who are still locked in older ways of seeing religion, thinking that you need special training or special knowledge or particular words or particular ritual to access what is quite naturally our birthright. When all you really need is to open yourself up to the world and to the stirrings and longings of your own heart. Especially at this time of year. Yes, yes. On Friday, which is my sermon writing day, which I do from home, it was such a beautiful day, I just could not sit at my desk in my little office. And so I took my laptop out to the backyard and sat there in the shade of a hemlock tree. And it was a beautiful morning when I started writing, but I kept getting interrupted I would hear these birds singing, or they'd go flitting by or swooping by, and then the wind would blow and it would call my attention to the blooms on the dogwood or the lilac. Or I would just look at the green, green grass all around. That's the sermon I would like to give you today, just that experience. I thought, this is it. Mary Oliver writes about this, about putting yourself in the way of grace. And the way she does this in her work, she is a modern day transcendentalist, just inviting and encouraging people to get outside and pay attention. Listen to what she says about this. She writes, I believe in the soul, in mine and yours, and the blue jays, and the pilot whales. I believe each goldfinch flying away over the coarse ragweed has a soul, and the ragweed too, plant by plant, and the tiny stones in the earth below, and the grains of earth as well. Not romantically do I believe this, nor poetically, nor emotionally, nor metaphorically, except as all reality is metaphor, but steadily, lumpishly, and absolutely. And now here's my favorite part. She writes, the wild waste spaces of the sea and the pale dunes with one hawk hanging in the wind, they are for me the formal spaces that in a liturgy, are taken up by prayer, song, sermon, silence, homily, scripture, the architecture of the church itself. And she concludes, And as with prayer, which is a dipping of oneself toward the light, there is a consequence of attentiveness, to the grass itself and the sky itself and to the floating bird. I too leave the fret and enclosure of my own life. I too dip myself toward the immeasurable. I could stop right there and just be quiet, right? you may have heard it said that the Buddha once gave a sermon in which all he did was hold up a flower and smile. He didn't say a thing. Of this, the transcendentalist would certainly approve. But you're here. And I'm so grateful you come here to church and I hope and trust that you are also opening yourself, especially in these days, to that big and glorious church, that sanctuary that is outside these walls. I hope and trust you are opening yourself to the good news that you can find above us in the evening sky The good news that you might find in the dirt from the garden that's under your fingernails. The good news that you can hear and feel when you lie down in the green grass. Or listen to the birds singing or whatever you do that puts yourself in that place of grace. Henry David Thoreau, who was one of the most famous of the transcendentalists, you know, he built himself that simple little cabin on the banks of Walden Pond down in Concord, just two miles from the center of Concord. You may also know that Thoreau wasn't roughing it that much at his simple cabin. His mom lived only a 20 minute walk away and he carried his laundry over to her house where she did it for him. And apparently she also helped provide his food. But his reflections on that two year experiment in simplicity, what he called his effort to suck the marrow out of life, Those reflections have resonated with people ever since. And it's important to remember that Thoreau did not stay at Walden for that long. You heard his words a few minutes ago. I left the woods for as good a reason as I went there. Perhaps it seemed to me that I had several more lives to live and could not spare any more time for that one. It is remarkable how easily and insensibly we fall into a particular route and make a beaten track for ourselves. I had not lived there a week before my feet wore a path from my door to the pond side, and though it is five or six years since I trod it, it is still quite distinct. It is true, I fear, that others may have fallen into it. And so help to keep it open. The surface of the earth is soft and impressible by the feet of men. And so with the paths, the mind travels. How worn and dusty then must be the highways of the world. How deep the ruts of tradition and conformity. I did not wish to take a cabin passage, but rather to go before the mast and on the deck of the world for there I could best see the moonlight and the mountains and could best hear young ones saying, here I am. You know, don't you, that Thoreau was no escapist or navel-gazer. In the lives that he lived after those two years at Walden, he became an ardent abolitionist, speaking out and working against slavery. He published the essay on the duty of civil disobedience, which later inspired Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. in their work for human rights. He had other things to do and more lives to live, and he got on with it. And so I wonder, what about us? What about you and what about me? You know, it's all too easy to follow the path that others have laid out for us or traveled before us or the paths that we ourselves have worn day after day. Every now and then, it's good to look up and look around and ask yourself, am I living the life that is my own? Are there changes that I want to make? Are there other lives that I am being called to explore? It seems to me that this is both an inward and an outward process. It's important to know how to drop down into your own self and hear the quiet voice of your own soul, to listen for what is wanting to emerge from deep within. And at the same time, it helps to ground this search in what is happening in your own time and place. What are the needs of these days we're living in? And what do I have to offer? The preacher and theologian Frederick Buechner says that your vocation, your calling is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Maybe your calling is to companion a loved one as he or she deals with memory loss or maybe to be a friend to someone who is grieving right now. Maybe one of your lives is to spread kindness as you travel through your days or to make art or to feed people or many possible other things. These days, in addition to what feeds my soul and what keeps me busy around here, I'm feeling compelled to do more, to be in solidarity with immigrants whose families are being broken up, separated by our government. So I'll be taking part in the Jericho Walk around the ICE offices down in Burlington on June 6th. And after our recent choir festival last weekend, when we had 150 people lifting their voices in song here, I'm wondering how singing might be more a part of our interfaith work and our social justice work. Can you imagine this sanctuary full of people lifting their voices, people from different faith traditions and no particular tradition at all, lifting their voices, singing and organizing together? This week I hope you'll ask this question of yourself. Do I have more lives to live? And then I hope you'll sit with that question and see where it leads. I encourage you to talk to others about this and let me know what's unfolding if you want because our ideas and our visions can and should inspire and fertilize one another, right? And what about this church? What new ways might we live out our calling to be a welcoming and caring faith community? How might we be more of a force for liberation and transformation and connection What do you want to do about that? Almost 200 years ago, our forebears here in Haverhill started a universalist church to share their life-affirming theology that no one is beyond God's love. And on the Unitarian side, we rightly claim the transcendentalists who imagined a larger and wider faith. Not bounded by church or by creed, but open to the life that's unfolding in our midst. This is our time. It's the only time that we have. And so the question is, what are we going to do with it? In a letter to one of his friends, Henry David Thoreau offered some advice. He seemed to be very happy to offer advice to other people. And here's what he wrote. He said, be not simply good. Be good for something. Don't these days ask the same of us? Yes, of course, let's be open to the wonder and blessing of these days and of this life. And, yes, in these lives, let us be good for something. Good for something while we're here. Amen.